Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Schaup here with Bob Garver, our New York City film critic. Bob, how are you doing today on this beautiful Tuesday morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we have a, a lot to get to, a couple of movies that Bob will review, and then we will also be providing a, a top five list. It's been a while since we've done that, so kind of super excited to get back into the list there, Bob. Yeah, yeah I'm excited to get back in as well. Well, our first film on the slate here is Studio 666. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this film, Bob. Well, this is a horror movie starring the Foo Fighters. Okay. Uh, led by Dave Grohl, which is a hilarious idea in, uh, in theory. Um, the problem is uh, they're going for a deliberately cheesy vibe with this movie uh and that's a hard thing to manufacture um you remember back to uh maybe 2006 i think it was with snakes on a plane mm, yeah that's unfortunate and, and um and and they really tried to um play up kind of the campy value of that movie yeah but um you know all the all the best gags you know were done in the lead up to the film the lead when it got to the film itself, you know, nobody was really interested. Um, doesn't doesn't work to try to force a cheesy movie on people. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about this. I mean, I guess why the Foo Fighters and, and what goes on here in this uh, this mansion? Well, yeah, they um, they go to record an album in a uh, in an abandoned, I guess, mansion, as you would call it, and. Uh, Dave Grohl becomes obsessed with writing the perfect song, and it turns out that he's um, being possessed by the ghost of a uh, lead singer of a band that was killed there a long time ago. And uh, he gets more obsessive, and violence follows. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, the Foo Fighters uh, are not, you know, specific actors and, you know, regular actors, at least. Uh, no, no, they are not. Uh, didn't, how do, how didn't do they hold their, do they hold their own here or do they uh, misfire on the on the acting side of things? Um, Grohl is OK. The others, the others, I couldn't I, I couldn't even differentiate between them, let alone care about them. But okay. um, Grohl, Grohl, like, Grohl is fine. Grohl's the only one who um, who can kind of pull off the vibe this movie is going for. OK. Um, you know, overall, uh, final score on something like this. What what grade did you give this film? Uh, I'll give it a C minus. It's it's kind of fun in places, but it, it's not funny. It's not scary. It's just it's just a, a flop. Um, I'm sure that there that it will have a cult following, especially among fans of the band. But um, I, I'm not. I, I don't dislike the band, but I'm can't say I'm a huge fan either. Sure. before or after this movie okay all right well just sort of switching gears now we're going to go to a biopic of uh being the ricardos uh following uh you know a, a pretty good uh oscar nomination three nominations all for acting for this film um you know it's a great cast with nicole kidman as lucille ball javier bardem as uh, desi arnaz um, J.K. Simmons as William Frawley, all three of those scoring Oscar nominations, uh, directed and written by Aaron Sorkin, who's one of the better writers going in Hollywood today. 
not maybe as great of a director as he is a writer, but Sorkin behind the camera as well for this. Bob, what do you think about being the Ricardos? Well, as um, as a director, I much preferred Sorkin um, doing the Trial of the Chicago Seven last year. Mm. Um, but uh, but yes, with that kind of dialogue and with all the uh, crazy things going on in the story, um, three major points that this story hits. Um, uh, the beginning of, uh, of Lucille Ball's pregnancy, uh, tabloid speculating that Desi's having an affair, and uh, the uh, communist uh, speculation about Lucy. So, so very busy week for these characters. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's pretty typical of uh, of a showbiz biopic. I, I didn't. I felt like this could be, um, you know, any celebrities, and this story didn't didn't feel like it was really owned by by Lucy and Desi. Okay. Do you feel like it earned those those three acting nominations for the Kidman, Bardem, and Simmons, or do you think this should have been shut out at Oscar season? Um, it could have been shut out. I wouldn't have been too upset, but. Um, you know, I'll, they're not bad. I'll, I'll let them have it. Um, I probably would have, uh, instead of J.K. Simmons, who was one before, I probably would have spread the wealth a little bit to uh, to co-star Tony Hale as the show's executive producer and, and maybe tossed him a nomination instead of Simmons yet again. Uh, but other than that, I have I have no particularly object, uh, particular objections to, uh, to this movie, to Aaron Sorkin's script, which, you know, as always causes the characters to bounce around like bumper cars verbally and uh Aaron Sorkin may uh may make another appearance uh on this show coming up here oh okay I think I know where we're going on that so um well uh, as we mentioned earlier uh and then the tease there from Bob uh in honor I guess you would say of being the Ricardos what was your final grade by the way before we move forward here uh let's say a b minus okay so in honor of being the Ricardos, uh, sort of being a snapshot of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, uh, we're going to talk about our favorite biopics. You know, there's a, a lot to choose from, um, you know, sports and music and everything in between. Uh, Bob, who's going first this time around? Um, I'll go first because I'm pretty sure your picks are going to be better than mine. No, oh, so. I, I doubt it. So, uh, so I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'll start off with... Uh, number five uh, with Ray, okay. uh, the the Ray Charles biopic, uh, pretty standard from a storytelling perspective, but the movie is great, and uh, Jamie Fox was amazing as Ray Charles in the lead. Uh, I could tell five minutes into the movie, the Oscar race for best actor that year was over, and yep. it was going to go to him, uh, an actor that I previously had not taken very seriously as a dramatic star, but. Sure. He uh, he nailed it right out of the gate. So so good on him for that. Um, for number four, I am going to go with a uh, movie I saw in two thousand eight, and I felt it was nominated for best picture. I felt it should have won. Uh, Frost Nixon, Frost Nixon, uh, very tense movie from uh, director Ron Howard, based on a London stage play. Starring Michael Sheen and Frank Langella, who were both terrific. Langella got a uh, Best Actor nomination. I would have loved to have seen Sheen get a nomination. I think he got robbed. But uh, just a, just a surprisingly intense movie um, for for an event that nothing really came of. Right. 
Uh, let's see here. For number three, I guess I will, uh, I'll take this time to return to Aaron Sorkin, and that is The Social Network, a film that I saw at a private screening in 2010. Uh, I was very apprehensive about whether the story of Facebook would make for a, uh, a convincing biopic, but I came out wanting to award the movie Best Picture. Right. Because uh, just the dialogue and filmmaking by David Fincher uh, and the performances by Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield, everybody's just at the top of their game in this movie. Uh, and it was, um, it managed to be more relevant than I had imagined, uh, even though Facebook was already starting to fade at that point, it, uh, it shot it right back up to the top. Uh, let's see here for number two, I'm going to go with a movie I saw on my birthday in 2014, and that is Big Eyes, uh, Tim Burton's biopic of artist Margaret Keene, who made kitschy drawings of children with huge eyes. Uh, Amy Adams is great in the role, but the, the real star is Christoph Waltz, uh, playing yet another great villain, uh, just bouncing off the walls with, with how manipulative and evil he is. Uh, just a great style from from Tim Burton, who I had kind of written off by that point, but he um, this was a real return to to form uh, with a film that he does, he doesn't usually do historical movies, but uh, but this worked really well for him, and uh, I was really disappointed that neither Adams nor Vaults got an Oscar nomination for this movie. Uh, before we go to number one, I'm going to throw out an honorable mention to another movie from 2008, uh, and that is Milk. Sean Penn in a, uh, a biography of uh, San Francisco politician Harvey Milk. Uh, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor that year over Frank Langella yeah. and also over Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler, a movie that you know I was highly interested in and was, in fact, in myself. And I didn't even mind it that much because Sean Penn was that good in Milk. Um, and uh, that will take me to the number one choice, which is a film I saw on my uh, 13th birthday in the year 1999, the day before the uh, new millennium. It was my first R-rated movie ever. And that was Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman. Okay. Yes, I uh, found this film uh, very funny. Uh, found the film very insightful, and of course, Jim Carrey's performance was absolutely mesmerizing. I was so sure that the Academy was not going to make the mistake they had made last year, or the, I mean, the year before, uh, not, not, not nominating Carrey for the Truman Show. He would should have won for that, and he should have won for this. Uh, they actually gave the Oscar that year to Kevin Spacey, which mm -hmm. is a choice that hasn't aged well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, this, this was a film that that at one time... Uh, I was I was ready to call the greatest of all time. Okay. Um, based on a limited number of movies I'd seen, and I've I've seen probably seen better movies about it since then. But or I've better I've seen better movies than that since then. But um, you know I would probably never feel about a biopic the way I felt about it at that time. Well, that's a that's a great list. Uh, I was really happy to see that you included Frost Nixon on there. That was a movie that I had considered for my list and it's probably one of those just in the periphery of my top five but really happy you liked frost frost nixon because that's a very underrated film for 
like you said, you're not really getting a lot of action and movement. It's really just this, but this tension gets ratcheted up with this interview, this really important interview. Um, and you're right about Michael Sheen. He really deserved a little bit more recognition, uh, should have been on the same level of recognition as Frank Langella for that year because if Michael Sheen. Exactly. Michael Sheen was fantastic in that film and, and really, you know, had to go toe to toe with Langella, who, of course, as you said, was nominated. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a, a little bit of a, you know, issue there for me. But uh, I, I really love Frost Nixon. and wish it would have gotten a little bit more recognition because it is that good. Um, so I'm glad it was on your list. Uh, didn't make my list, but it certainly was one of those ones that I considered pretty heavily as I was putting together this list. And I think with my list, it, you know, I, I didn't necessarily go for, you know, what I perceive to be the better films or the best biographies or anything like that. These are my favorite ones. These are ones that kind of yeah, these, stood out to me, you know, because obviously Goodfellas would make it or Raging, you know, Raging Bull, for instance. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've kind of looked at this list as, you know, what impacted me the most, what, you know, were mo maybe the, the most rewatchable, I guess you would say as well. If something's on TV, do I want to go back and watch it? Or, you know, is it something I want to go through my library, pick it out and watch it that night? And I think with me, number five on my list, and I think I probably, and I did have this on my, my top sports uh, movies when we did that category, is Moneyball. Uh, the Brad Pitt-led film, uh, Bennett Miller directing the story of the Oakland Athletics, Billy Bean, the general manager, trying to put together a competitive ball club on a shoestring budget. It, it really, you know, as a baseball fan, it really gives you the inner workings of how a franchise is run, the financial struggles, the uh, drama between the front office and the manager and the front office and the players and the players and the coaching staff. And it really sheds light on that. But then it also allows us to kind of get an inside look at, you know, Billy Bean's, you know, life outside of baseball and also sort of his development as to maybe why he chooses, uh, you know, to maybe value players that others don't value. And I think it just was a, a very fine film, well-directed, great acting, well-written. Just one of those films, I think, for me that, that just really kind of sort of stands the test of time. And Aaron Sorkin is a co-writer on that screenplay. So um, it kind of comes full circle here, Bob. Number four on my list um, is American Gangster. This is a movie that I really, I expected to like it when it came out. Um, this is what, I guess, way back in uh, 2007. Now, I shouldn't say way back, but back in 2007. But Ridley Scott, this is one of his, I think, better films, especially of the 21st century. Uh, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe just give outstanding performances, sort of in that same vein as what we talked about with, uh, Frank Langella and, and Michael Sheen going toe-to-toe -to -toe in scenes or carrying the movie individually themselves when they were just dominating the screen. But this is one of those really interesting biopics. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably hev heavily fiction fictionalized, but talking about the rise of drug dealer Frank Lucas and the, the cop played by Russell Crowe, Richie Roberts, who tries to put him away and then ends up becoming sort of... <laughs> Not a, maybe a friend, but maybe a frenemy uh, with uh, Washington's character as he defends him in court. It's it's really an interesting movie about the legal system and just about sort of the cat and mouse game between a, a 
drug dealer and the cop that's on the chase for him. So really an underrated Ridley Scott movie, one of my favorite Ridley Scott movies, and uh, definitely a, a terrific crime epic in my opinion. And also, you know, bonus points for it being a biopic. So uh, really a big fan of American Gangster. And uh, might I add, I love the last shot of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great fit. It really is. Like, I mean, I know Ridley Scott has been a prolific director and, and, you know, he's, he's had a really varied career of good movies, bad movies in between, I think, but this was one of his better efforts. And, you know, it's, it's definitely one of Denzel Washington's finest performances. Russell Crowe gives a great performance as well. I, I don't know that it got as much love as it should have, it, you know, it scored two Oscar nominations, it's, it might have been one of those where, um, you know, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe could have been nominated. I know Ruby D was uh, nominated for a supporting role here, but uh, and also art direction. So kind of a underrated gem, I think, and probably should have deserved a little bit more love. Yeah. At number three for me, I, I do get into Scorsese. I talk about, uh, you know, his... <laughs> Raging Bull and, and Goodfellas, some of his serious efforts. But I put The Wolf of Wall Street on my list here of biopics. And I think a lot of it is because it is always entertaining. It runs <laughs> off the it, it certainly runs off the rails every now and then. But that's the point of it, I think, is this movie is, you know, in detailing Jordan Balfort's uh, rise in the uh, the penny stock game. But I think the reason why this film goes off the rails and why it's so long is it's be, it really harkens back to that excess that this movie is about. This movie is over the top. It's brash. It's trying to push the, you know, push that needle and, and move it and move it and move it and try to reset every, every time going for the, the most outlandish outtakes they could find. And that's the point of this movie. It is about the excessive world. It is about the, we can we can do cocaine wherever we want. We can do drugs wherever we want. And I think Scorsese hits this balance of, you know, a cautionary tale in some ways, but then also like an over-the-top expose on this man's life, almost uh, documentary-like in, in how it depicts this man's life and how he just runs off the rails every time, finding the way to, uh, you know, do, outdo himself, if you will, every day. So it's not Scorsese's best and it's not even his best biopic, but it's one of my favorite biopics because of just this over the top nature of this film. And I really think, and I know Scorsese, I know, um, you know, DiCaprio would end up winning an Oscar for the Revenant, but I actually think the Wolf of Wall Street was a better performance. I think it was an unhinged DiCaprio, whereas in the Revenant, it's a, you know, looks you know look at the camera and and, and breathe really hard or breathe <laughs> and, and you know put out some spit this was an actual hmm. performance you know and, and nothing against the revenant i enjoyed the revenant quite a bit but this performance for me for dicaprio was much better than the revenant and probably should have scored him his first nomination or first win um after several nominations and unfortunate losses for him so the wolf of wall street not scorsese's best but it's my it's one of my favorite Scorsese movies because it's just so much fun. And I think that's the point. It's supposed to be long. It's supposed to feel like it's off the rails. And that's what it that's what it did. And I think it did it great. Number two on my list, um, I'm gonna kind of throw a, a little bit of a curveball is Argo. 
Now, this was a movie when I saw it in theaters. I really didn't expect a whole lot. I, I, I didn't really know a lot about what was going on here as it details this um, really realistic fictional film called Argo, which was supposed to mimic the success of Star Wars and be the next science fiction franchise. Well, CIA agents are uh, you know, launching a, an operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the hostage crisis in, in Iran in 1979. And one of the ways they are able to kind of finagle their way in there is that they're a film crew that's uh, scouting out desert locations in Iran and trying to say that they're going to make this film Argo. It's going to be the next science fiction epic. You know, Ben Affleck directs um, Chris Terrio, who he's uh, been a frequent uh, um, collaborator with him on some movies, writes this script. This is a really well-crafted film. Affleck was, was I think, snubbed as far as oh, the yeah. Academy Awards go that Absolutely. year. Um, I, you know, obviously it won Best Picture, so the movie got plenty of recognition, and Terrio won for, for screenplay. Um, but this was a, a really well-crafted film, and it was kind of a shame, in my opinion, that this didn't score any acting nominations for as, as good as the performances were and as fun as these performances were. I mean, was it wasn't Arkin nominated? No, I don't know. I don't think he was. Let me check really quick. I, I know he was kind of on that fringe of potentially being nominated, but you okay. know, you, you talk. Yeah, I, actually, he was. I'm sorry, he was nominated for that. So, um, so Arkin did get a nomination there, but uh, and a lot, you know, a lot could be, you know, attributed to his interplay between he and um, uh, uh, you know Affleck and, and just other characters too. Uh, John Goodman, I think, comes to mind there. Um, oh yeah, I like John Goodman. Just a really really fun top-notch like thrilling movie where it allows there to be some stress and some you know lens of comedy to kind of lighten the mood affleck was really good in this this is this is not his first movie that he directed or anything like that it, it wasn't necessarily a, a movie that it, you know you can argue whether it's his best but i think it was a, it probably his best film it, you know, one of his better performances, too, as Tony Mendez, the CIA. Um, I think Affleck always gets, uh, you know, kind of dumped on a little bit uh, for his acting prowess. But in here he gives a very believable performance in a movie that is almost too too impossible to be true. But it is. So uh, definitely a movie that I, I really enjoy. But number one, probably one of my favorite theater experiences over the years and mostly because I didn't know what to expect going into it. And that's Into the Wild. Sean Penn directing Emile Hirsch uh, as Chris McCandless, the college student uh, who decides to give it all up and give up a career to uh, sort of just explore nature as he decides to uh, give his entire savings away to charities. He hitchhike, hitchhikes to the Alaskan wilderness where he wants to sort of just live off the land. Um, <clears throat> such a great performance by Emil Hirsch and a really stellar job directing and writing uh, from Sean Penn. Um, Hal Holbrook did get a nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Um, I, I do think Hirsch probably should have scored a nomination for acting. Um, it's, a, it's a touching and heartbreaking uh, film all at the same time. It's beautifully shot, um, and it's definitely something that, you know, I think when I left the theaters, I was a little bit more... Um, impressed with Hirsch and more impressed with Sean Penn as a filmmaker than I ever thought I could be. 
uh, before going into it. So that's why it made my list here. And I think it was just a, you know, a really touching and sweet, <clears throat> sweet film also while being tragic. Um, and for me, it's, it's one of my favorite biopics and it, that's why it's my number one on here on my biopic list. Yeah, before I saw that movie, I kind of had my mind made up that I wouldn't like it because okay. I, I dislike it when when people choose not to live in a society. If that makes sense, <laughs> um, but uh, but but yes, the movie really won me over with uh, with the writing and the performances. Yeah, I think you know, obviously, honorable mention. You know, the, the show Social Network. It's been so long, I think, since I've watched it. I know it's only about twelve years old now, but. Uh, that's a movie that probably could have made my list, but I, I thought of uh, when I when compiling this list of of movies or, or ones that you know like you have a gun to your head, what are you going to go watch right now? Well, these are probably the five that I would say that are that have a lot of rewatchability over the years when I've seen them on TV or you know been going through my collection and said, hey, what do I want to watch tonight? You know, these are biopics that really stand out. What do you think of the list overall there? Yeah, I mean, we both we both uh, picked movies that we ha we had uh, personal connections to that we were able to see in theaters. That um, yeah, that uh, that that affected us. Um, I, I and I know there are some classics I could have put on there. I could have put Raging Bull. I could have um, put maybe Lawrence of Arabia. I could have put uh, really stretched it, but Citizen Kane as a Hearst biography. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, those movies just just didn't just didn't hit me the same way that, that these movies do, even though, you know, there's probably more skill behind the camera there. Sure. Well, Bob, uh, always fun getting back with you here on these Thank lists. Uh, what do you have coming up for uh, for next week? I think we have a big one coming up next week, right? Next week is a big one. The Batman. All right, a lot of hype surrounding the Batman. Bob, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on uh, the Matt Reeves-directed Robert Pattinson Batman with the Penguin and uh, Catwoman and the Riddler. It's in Carmine Balcone. It's going to be a huge epic of, well, something. It's going to be something, but uh, we're excited to hear what your thoughts are on that for the uh, the big release. As I guess now we're starting to kick off the uh, the box office season here with the early March release here of the Batman. So Bob, well, nothing's, nothing's going to want to open in the, in the week next or in no. the week following or, or no. even probably a couple of weeks after that. Definitely not. Well, it looks like, it seems like the summer box office schedule is starting to stretch out even more mm -hmm. these days with now getting movies into the March seat. You know, obviously March has always been a solid, you know, release schedule, but uh, definitely a big one with the Batman. And I know Morbius is coming up in, in April and of course, Doctor Strange Two will be uh, shortly after that. So I think that's in May. Yep, a lot of big releases here in the next couple of months. So Bob, while we thank you as always, we will uh, talk next week about the Batman. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. This is the highlight of my week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast, based on the work from our book Hope Interrupted that I co-authored with my good friend Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.